Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're going to continue our series in vision and values. This is an important message series that we're in. And I've got a real treat this morning to speak on something that generally we never should leave the subject of worship. I mean, every message should be about worship. If we follow Christ, if we follow Jesus, there shouldn't be one message or one gathering or one board meeting or one kids gathering which doesn't include the subject of worship. And so it's important to return to the subject of worship uh, often and deeply. Often and deeply. And generally what we're after in this series of vision and values, it's important because we're leaky as people. We forget. We remembered this morning with the bread and the juice, Jesus told us to remember his death and his resurrection because he knows we forget so easily. We need to be reminded of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to earth, that God came down and put on skin and bones to become like us and lived a sinless life and then offered himself freely. He wasn't a victim. He gave his life up for us on the cross and died a brutal death and was buried, and then was raised to life by the Spirit of God, the same power that Jesus says now lives inside of every believing heart. That he was resurrected and didn't just stop there, but that the Father exalted him to the highest place, to the right hand of the Father where he reigns now. And he longs for us to pray the prayer that he prayed and he taught us to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done Let your rule and your reign settle in our lives, in our times, on our kids, in our marriages, in our communities. Vision is important. Values are important. And here's why, generally. Because values, these things that we hold in our hearts, these things that we carry, whether they're at work or in our family structures Wherever you find yourself, you find yourself working within a value system. These ideas have consequences, and what these ideas turn into are behaviors, are actions. We act on the things that we feel are prime motivators in our life. And so what we're doing here is simply drawing our hearts back, remembering, reminding ourselves, or rather having the Holy Spirit remind us of who we are and why we do what we do. What could be more important than that? Because I'd like to think of us as more than just a bunch of bodies taking up space here this morning, but we're, but we're on the same path. We're sharing vision. We're headed towards something. Where are we going What are we doing here? So vision and values are important. They act as guardrails. 
in this journey of following Jesus. This is what's important. Oh yeah, last week we talked about partnering with the Holy Spirit. Partnering with the Holy Spirit is important. Oh yeah, right. I forgot that. Now I remember partnering with you, Lord. What can be more amazing? And so this morning, we're going to talk about worship. And in the vineyard, worship, we say, is our highest priority. In fact, the whole movement, the whole vineyard movement was founded out of this hunger for God's presence. Back in the 70s, there was this group of cynical, burnt-out Pharisees, they called themselves, in California. And they were Bible teachers, and they were cynical, and they started gathering together. What could be worse, right? <laughs> than a bunch of cynical Bible teachers all in the same spot. <laughs> And they had a couple rules for their gathering back in those days, as uh, Casey Corum tells it. My friend Casey says that they had a couple rules for when they met. The first and primary rule was that they would never teach each other the Bible in that space. (laughs) Say, that might sound a little bit heretical. Aren't they gathered together to worship God? But they had this rule. All these burnout Pharisees, they said, we're not going to teach one another the Bible. Another rule that they had was they said, when we gather together and we pray for one another, you can only ask for prayer for yourself. There's none of this, my cousin is sick, will you pray for him? You had to ask for prayer for yourself. Good rule, I like that one. And these gatherings were marked by this hunger. There's this word that floats around the vineyard of intimacy in worship. But my friend Casey says that hunger is the lower level. Hunger is the soil, the fertile soil for intimacy. Meaning, if we want to experience God's presence, worship, and when we experience God's presence in intimacy, it's always been preceded by this hunger for more. This hunger for God's presence. We sense it. When we sing together, don't we? When we sing out, when we pray out, come Holy Spirit, how we need your fire again. There's hunger in that for us, Vineyard Cleveland. And so it's important to talk about worship. And oftentimes you'll hear this phrase around the church of worship as a lifestyle. And, and I like it. I think it's good to say that, right? Because there are... 10,080 minutes in a week. And if we say that worship is the 30 minutes confined to a Sunday morning, we've missed it, right? Like, what about the other 10,050? That's such great math. 10,050. What about the other 10,050 minutes? Like, what do we do with those if we're like, you know, what we do on a stage together with people For 30 minutes on a Sunday, that's worship. What about those other neglected minutes? Like, what do we do with those? So this phrase of lifestyle of worship, I like it. It gets at the heart, but in some senses, over the course of the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking about it and praying about it, and I'm like, man, it just seems kind of, it just seems so shallow to think about it like that. Like, Like, there's a deeper layer underneath of saying, I'm, I want to live a lifestyle of worship, because it's, it, worship is something that we choose to do, 
But it's not like a lifestyle choice. Do you know, it's deeper than that. Worship is deeper than just saying, well, this is the style of clothes that I wear, or this is the style of car that I drive. Worship is deeper than that. Lifestyle of worship, can, it only gets so deep at the heart of what's going on. And so we're going to be in Romans this morning because that is what I want to chat about to remind us of this lifestyle of worship or this hunger for worship that's not just confined to singing together for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. That our hearts would be centered around worship, around the person of Jesus. And I'm going to read two different um, versions of this verse in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'll read the NIV first, and then I'm going to read the message version. We're going to take a pause in between the two readings and just settle our hearts. And in between the two readings, the words aren't going to be on the screen. You don't really have to do anything. If you have your Bible, please follow along with but you don't really have to do anything. You could close your eyes. You might want to take a deep breath just to center your thoughts, center your body. You know, we'll hear about presenting or offering our bodies to God in this verse. You know, maybe a deep breath just to center our heart's attention, our bodies on what God is speaking to us because His Word is fresh to us every time we read it. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to read it twice. Here's in the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's take a moment and just be still before God. What might he want to highlight for you this morning? Here's the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing You can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you. He develops well-formed maturity 
in you. Jesus, thank you for who you are. We come uh, with grateful hearts. We come, Lord, asking for more of your presence. I pray in the course of this morning, throughout the week, that you would develop and cultivate and stir up and ignite and, um, and command a fire inside of us for your presence, that we'd be hungry, we'd be thirsty for your presence, to see you, uh, your manifest presence in our life. Come, each one, each one that's come this morning, I pray that you would speak what you want to speak to them. You know each and every heart. You know where each and every journey stands with you. You search our hearts and our thoughts. And so God, just in view of your tender mercies, that that verse, would you let your tender mercy fall in this place? By the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, take these words, God, and make them yours. Let us be receptive to what you have to say and respond. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So really, really awesome version there from Eugene Peterson in the message of how we're to offer our everyday and our ordinary lives, our, I love how he says our walking around lives, our eating, sleeping, everyday, walking around lives, you know, that part of it, which is the majority of our week, right? The majority of our lives. And so I wanted to offer four ways that we can offer ourselves Um, when we talk about offering ourselves as living sacrifices, and this is what it means to worship God, I felt, I sensed like the Lord this week would just want to breathe on a couple of, uh, a couple of points there on how do we do that? How do we offer ourselves? Sometimes it's difficult to offer ourselves when we've been hurt before or if we just don't feel like it or maybe we're in a, maybe we're in a fine place in life and we don't feel the need to offer ourselves. Paul reminds us we're to offer ourselves. So how do we do that? How do we offer ourselves as living sacrifices? So for Four quick ways here to offer ourselves. We offer ourselves in response to Jesus' love. Paul says, in view, with God's mercy in full view, to offer ourselves in a response to God's love. We offer ourselves in response to love. And yesterday we experienced a great prime example of what it means to offer ourselves in love. Yesterday, we got an opportunity to reach out to 30 or 40 migrant workers, all dudes, who show up on this white bus every week at our church. And they park this white bus and then they go to live their lives in those apartments over there and they'll be moving on soon, but they're picking the fields right now at harvest time around Northeast Ohio. And so there is a team of folks from our church who just said, hey, let's serve these guys dinner. These guys work hard with their hands all day long from sun up to sundown. The least we could do in view of God's mercy 
to offer ourselves in worship and buy these guys some pizza, right? The least that we could do. So from the very start, from the vision uh, to the planning, to folks who said, hey, I want to give financially to that. I want to make that happen. To the volunteers, to praying over folks there, these guys receiving uh, a meal. It's all worship from the start to the finish. And so a huge, huge thank you. Um, uh, to, like, like, by the way, thank you, Mike and Rita, for leading us in vision there. That's an act of worship. And thank you to the folks who said, hey, we want to give financially to that, to that specifically. That's good. That's worship. To the volunteers who prayed over migrant workers and just created a safe place for people, down to Barb serving the lemonade. That's an act of worship, serving lemonade. Come on, give it up for these guys. That's worship. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's worship. That's worship offering, because that's an act of love, you know? That's done out of love. That's saying, man, these guys are amazing. Let's offer them a meal and pray for them. That's an act of worship. You know, the other picture I have for like this, this offering ourselves in response to love is the picture or the scripture of the... Um, of Mary anointing Jesus' feet, of holding nothing back. What does it mean to offer ourselves in love to God? We have the perfect picture in Mary anointing Jesus' head, his feet, with this bottle of perfume, this spikenard, we're told. It's only found in the Himalayas, and we're told in Scripture that it costs 300 denarii. It costs 300 denarii, and we're like, oh, 300 bucks. No, this, this perfume, which was extremely fragrant, would have cost about 50K. And it's, and it's housed in this alabaster jar. And we're told in Scripture that Mary breaks the jar. All these little shards of alabaster on the floor and this perfume would have filled the whole room and Mary is just pouring out worship and, and she's pouring it on his feet and his head and maybe there's shards of glass. It's worth $50,000 and she sees a, a drop or two that's left on the shards of alabaster. There's more. There's more for Jesus. And the picture we get here is that it's never enough for Jesus. No cost is too high. There's, there's no place she won't go just to be around him. And the criticism comes, and most theologians think that the voice of criticism is coming from Judas because he's having his hand in the pocketbooks of, uh, for the poor. And, and Judas looks at this act of worship, and he criticizes, and he says, couldn't this money, look at what a waste. What a waste it is. All, all that perfume just is ending up on the floor in a mess. What a waste of resources, of time. All of that money could have been used to feed the poor. And Jesus responds so lovingly. Jesus says, the poor you will always have with me. Or always have with you. But me, I'll only be here for a little while. Mary made, and in doing so, Jesus says, Mary made the right decision. She chose to worship. 
in view of God's mercy, is there any cost too high? Mary chose to hold nothing back. Even the most precious thing, Mary said, is yours, Jesus. It's yours. Everything I have, everything that's been given to me, it all belongs to you. I'm holding nothing back. Unreserved worship. She offers herself in response. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, therefore, why for? Check out where Paul's heart is at. In Romans eleven thirty three through 36, a lot of times we like to use Romans 12 and we're like living sacrifices, offering ourselves, but we forget to read Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Why is Romans 12, 1 and 2 there? Let your heart blow up at this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Answer, nobody. Or who has been his counselor? Nobody. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Nobody. Nobody's not really in the NIV. You guys get that by now, right? I'm just kind of adding that. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Can we see it in context now? He's just spent 11 chapters laying out the good news, the gospel of Jesus. The wretchedness of men and women and the beauty of who Jesus is. And then in chapter 11, he says, look at how big God is. Look at how good God is. Look at how unsearchable his ways are. Look at how wise he is. Look at how well he knows our hearts. Everything comes from him. Everything is flowing through him. Everything is going towards him. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves, your whole self. This is worship, to offer ourselves in love as a response to the mercy that's been shown to us. And what are all the mercies of God? Paul tells us all through Romans, through those first 11 chapters, the mercies of God are these justification from guilt and the penalty of sin. Ah, thank you, Lord, for that mercy. Adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ that we belong to him. Mercy that we've been placed under grace and not the law. Freedom, that's mercy. Giving the Holy Spirit to live within us. What a gift the Holy Spirit is. Mercy the promise of help in all affliction, mercy, assurance of a standing in God's election, mercy, 
confidence in coming glory. That this broken world will be made whole. Mercy, confidence of no separation from the love of God. Neither death, nor light, nor height, nor depth, nor any distance in between could separate us from the love of God. Mercy and confidence in God's continued faithfulness that he'll walk with us in pain and in joy. That's a mercy here and into eternity. That's a mercy of God. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, Paul urges us to offer ourselves in worship. Offer in response to love. Offer in ordinary circumstances. That's the second way. We can offer ourselves in ordinary circumstances. I love how Eugene Peterson writes in our walking around everyday life. You know, sometimes we miss the miracle because we're looking for the miracle. Sometimes we want God to be on a megaphone, but most often he's in the whisper. We read in the Old Testament, there was a man, he was looking to see God face to face, to hear God, to speak with God. And he looked for God in these loud, bombastic ways, these grand ways, but God wasn't to be found in those ways. He was in the whisper. That's where God's voice often comes to us. When we get quiet, when we get still, we can hear the Lord's voice. We offer ourselves in ordinary circumstances. This is part of like a a bigger theology kind of piece, which is that there are no... um, There is little separation between divine moments and secular moments, right? That every moment is holy, should we view it that way. That beauty is everywhere, should we have eyes to see it. Every moment holy, every moment an opportunity to see God's kingdom come, every moment an opportunity to worship. As I said earlier, there's, there's only 30 minutes we sing together on a Sunday morning, but there are 10,050 10, other moments throughout the course of the week that God cares deeply about in our lives, cares deeply about those 10,050 moments. And so what are we asking? Are we asking, like, are we just to be singing all the time? I mean, Tom might say, yeah, we should be singing in those 10,050 hours. If you ask musicians, they said, yeah, sing all the time. We should just walk around like it's a Broadway musical and sing to one another. That's what Paul meant when he said, sing spiritual hymns and songs. 525,000, right? Dynamite rent reference there. I thought that was going to kill. It didn't. Uh, 
uh, offer ourselves in ordinary circumstances. Bring it down. Don't let it be a downer. But A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. Man. Man. Isn't that the heart of what it means to offer ourselves in ordinary circumstances. Sometimes we miss the miracle because we're looking for the miracle. And it's not wrong to pray. We want to pray bold prayers that that God would give us the gift of tongues. We were praying yesterday God would give us the gift of tongues because none of us knew how to speak fluent Spanish. We're like, Lord, come. And we want to pray bold prayers that God would raise the dead, yeah, and that God would heal physically. And yet sometimes when we expect him to like give us a word and just shout it from the heavens because we're dumb and we need it to be clear, so often we miss what God is doing already in the moment because we're off chasing something else. You know, how much more it means to the heart of God when, yeah, we pray uh, audacious prayers and bold prayers and also when we're just like coming to God and being like, God, what are you doing in my life right now? God, help me notice you in this time of silence. God, help me notice um, where I'm walking toward right now. Offering ourselves in ordinary circumstances like the grocery line. I mean, could the grocery line be more powerful than a revival service? Totally could. If we can see it that way, an opportunity uh, packed or pregnant with the presence of God, with worship, each moment holy. The revival service for the eighth night in in, in a row that you're slugging your kids off to. I guess that feels tiring and like we got to hype ourselves up in the grocery line when we're buying our avocado, right? Every moment holy, every moment divine. So we offer in response to love, we offer in ordinary circumstances, we offer in an authentic way. This is huge. We offer ourselves in an authentic way. And one thing to remember here from the text is that Jesus is the one that makes us holy and pleasing to God. Jesus alone, his death and his resurrection, make us holy and pleasing to God. We can't say it enough. Because sometimes we read this verse and we're like, um, to offer our, our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And we say, well, if that's what our spiritual act of worship is, I know that I'm not holy and pleasing to God. I can't bring myself holy and pleasing to God. And I want to encourage you, you're on the right path if you're saying that. Because the truth is, is that we cannot. We cannot make ourselves holy enough. We cannot be pleasing to God. The only way we are pleasing and holy to God is through the lens of Jesus Christ. He makes us holy and pleasing to God. And in being authentic, we, we bring ourselves to Jesus, or rather, 
He brings the sacrifice. Yes, we choose whether or not we want to stay up there on the altar, but in his obedience, he finishes the work that he started in us. He brings us to altars in our lives all the time. Richard Foster, a writer, he writes this. He says that the problem with being a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is that the sacrifice always wants to get off of the altar. A good spiritual discipline in the rhythm of the contemplative would just be to slow down a sec and ask the Lord or ponder in your heart, how many times have I wandered from the altar or how many times have I wanted to get off of the altar this week? 10,080 minutes. How many times have I wanted to climb down off of the altar. That would be a good spiritual practice this week to keep that constant in our focus. Or if you relate your life as a posture, how do you view yourself before the throne of God? If you're on the altar, where are you? Are you facing towards God? Are you on your knees before God? Are you walking away from God? Where are you in posture to the throne of God? You know, the problem with being a living sacrifice is that it always wants to get off of the altar. Jesus helps us see ourselves as we worship him. And, and worship is the only way towards this. We can only be our true selves once we allow the Holy Spirit to begin transformation in us, and that happens in worship. So whether you bring mess or you bring order, it all matters before God. It's the reality that you're bringing your life to Jesus, or rather he's bringing you that matters. There's nothing more transformative in our journey, nothing more freeing, Nothing that brings the heart of God more joy than when we're honest and authentic with him in worship. When we bring trials and joy, it all matters to him. And we see this modeled for us in the Psalms as David fell with Bathsheba. Had Bathsheba's husband sent to the front lines and murdered, he brings he brings himself before God and he says, before you and you alone have I sinned. There's just this honest authenticness about who David is in that moment. The king. Wouldn't that be refreshing to hear from some of our politicians today? Some transparency and some honesty? A confession like that? Wouldn't that be nice? He brings everything. He brings the mess. He brings the sin. He brings himself in an authentic way. Lastly, we offer ourselves in full attention. In full attention. And this has everything to do with slowing down and is packed here in this passage in Romans 12. Offering ourselves in full attention is a way that we can um, worship God just by slowing down. Just by pausing and asking simple questions. And whether you do that in um, 
You experience God in, in nature and getting out and taking a hike and viewing uh, creation or whether you do that in silence and solitude and, and getting into the Word and reading the Word and uh, whether you do that with, um, with a, a, a warm pumpkin spice latte on a cold autumn day, however you slow down, however you establish slower rhythms in your life, this idea of Sabbath, that's how we offer ourselves. We get away and we rest with Jesus. For me, uh, mainly that journey has looked like getting away into the rivers and, and fly fishing and just being alone, being silent, being quiet before God and noticing things about my surroundings, noticing how the, how the water is, is uh, how the water is is flowing downstream and how I'm standing in the river and slowing my heart down to ask very simple questions. So whatever it is for you, it'd be different for you, but whatever it is for you, I want to encourage us to be in those spaces. Whether it's writing or being out in nature, whatever it is, asking those questions, simple questions. What am I doing right now? What am I doing right now? Where am I going God, what do you want me to notice right now? You know, a lot of times we come to God and we think that we have to have these big questions and these big things and have everything figured out theologically before we can come to God. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm encouraging you this morning, it's not like that. If we were to just slow down and ask God simple questions, where am I going? What am I doing right now? We may find that the slower rhythm, not, I'm not promising answers from heaven. That's not what this is about. But I will promise you his presence. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Proverbs four twenty four. Fix your gaze directly before me. Make level paths for your feet, and take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Second Corinthians four eighteen. So we fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Hebrews 3, 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. God, fasten our eyes on you. Fasten our eyes on you, Jesus. Fixed. Last night, my son, Lu here I go tell another story about Luca. Last night, we sent our son off to freshman homecoming. Jeez. And it got to the part of um, the boutonniere, and the boutonniere with the pin and sticking it on there. And Jesus says, Evan, you're to be fixed on the shirt of my grace. You're to be fixed, just like that boutonniere. It's, it's trouble at first. You're like, how does that work? I don't want to stick him. Evan, you're to be fixed your eyes fixed on my presence.